encourage you to take that and follow along. If you haven't been at Garden Chapel lately, we are in the midst of a campaign that includes not only Sunday morning sermons, but uh, uh, small group studies uh, dealing with the idea of love at last sight. We know that love at first sight is something that happens. Uh, our desires are there. It's attractive. It's, it's um, inviting. But if it doesn't go beyond that, there's a problem. We know that there's a second look, which simply says we need to deal with the difficulties and the problems. If we don't, that relationship will die And then we want to concentrate because the end, as they say, the proof is in the pudding. Can you look back and say, I have done, made the choices, made the decisions to make this a strong, growing, and mature relationship. Love at last sight. Is it better when you look back than it was when you got started, when the problems were in the middle? The first sermon we looked at was Jesus' example. And... uh, This morning, we're going to look not only as the example of love at last sight, but the art of acting intentionally, making choices. Jesus said, or it says of Jesus, that he loved them to the end. He didn't bail out. If I was Jesus and I had 12 disciples like he had, I probably would have given them their walking papers and hired some new ones. Oh, by the way, I think he would do that with this pastor and you and you, right? Because guess what? We all have difficulties in our relationships, starting with our relationship with God. But he doesn't do that. Last week, we looked at we need to be all in. Wherever you are, be there. Relationships take care And we need to make the choices to make sure that those relationships do go forward. Today, we're going to look at the whole concept that relationships need to advance. We simply cannot have good intentions. Nothing wrong with good intentions. But if you simply have good intentions, that's all they are. Good intentions need to be coupled with doing things intentionally. So if God brings a conviction in your life about a relationship, you can have good intentions. You're going to get that one worked on. But if you never do it, you never take the actions necessary. Nothing ever happens. God will not force you to have a good relationship. He won't make you do it. We need to plan and we need to take action. Both of those are absolutely necessary. There are those that would argue that in the English language, the word love is the most important word. It's pretty hard to argue with. But I proposed to you, and I didn't come up with this, but somebody said, well, love is important, but relationship is probably even more important. And here was the reasoning, and I kind of agree with that. Because love without a relationship is kind of hollow. What is it? I mean... You can love the color of the carpet, but that's not really a relationship. But love is what makes a relationship work and what make, gives you the desire to make those right choices, to be all there, to take the actions. And so when we think of love, 
really we're normally thinking of a relationship. And that's why you'll hear me almost use them interchangeably as I speak. Somebody said it's the relationships are the tracks that love runs on. And we're all in the school. There, well, if you could put up your hand, don't, don't anybody do this, but if I said anybody that has all their relationships right, put up your hand. If you put up your hand, everybody else in here is going to be looking at you and going, that person is delusional because I know them. And they don't get it all together because I know what they did to me and they never got that one. You understand what I'm talking about. Relationships are constantly in need of upgrade, of maintenance, and all of those kinds of things. Because we continue to learn and to grow and discover what needs to happen. I'll give you an example right up front. Uh, many of you know knew my father-in-law. And... There were, and I'll be, be real honest, there were people who thought he walked on water and there were people that couldn't stand him. <sighs> I did some really stupid things when I started dating my wife. I'm not going to go into all of that, but they were pretty stupid. And he had every reason in the world to be skeptical of me. I'm not going to tell you anything else. And you know what? It went along and it was kind of like, okay, he's my father-in-law and that's about where it stopped. But he, as... He was known to do, had advice for everybody about everything. And I, being the stubborn, young, know-it-all that I was at that time, um, if he'd start talking to me, I would just click my hearing aids off. Now, I don't actually have hearing aids. I'd just turn my brain off. It's like, I don't really like him. He doesn't really like me, and I'm not going to listen to him. And you know what? I got convicted. I got convicted that that was a really stupid way of looking at things. You know why? Because my father-in-law had been around a lot longer than I did. And there were some things in life that he knew a whole lot more about than I will ever know about. And I made it my business, and, and it was conviction. It wasn't just by, it just happened. I had intentions and carried them out that from then on, I would listen to what he had to say. And then the things that were worthwhile and wise, I would put them into practice. And the things that didn't make any sense. For example, I rarely took anything about theology from him. I, I don't know where he was coming from sometimes. But you know what? I, and I have a saying. I learned it from a professor. It was, you eat the chicken, throw out the bones. You know what? I encourage you to have that mentality about the people that you interact with, the relationships you have. Because sometimes nobody got it all right. But you know what? There are very few people that you cannot learn from. And you don't have to agree with everything. You know what? I can honestly tell you that as the years went by, my relationship with my father-in-law grew and became stronger to the point where... If we disagreed, we could agree to disagree. And if he was doing something wrong, I could look at him and say, hey, this isn't right. And he would take it from me. And I would listen to him. You know what? It required action on my part. I used to think that, uh, well, he changed and, you know, he changed. And then I realized later, see, these are growing things. I realized that, I won't say I was a young punk, but I was... Like a lot of teenagers and a lot of guys, we think we know it at all. And I didn't. And guess what? I'm still there today. I learn every week from others, from the Word of God, and continue on. 
Relationships require us to be engaged in them. It requires us to continue to make choices. And it's not just a once and done choice. Think about this, all of you that are married. You only will ever have one wedding day. But I will tell you, and you think this through, if you don't believe this, think it through for a while, is you make a choice every day, do I stay in that marriage? You do. And if you say, I'm staying in this marriage and I'm going to make it work, guess what? You will not only have good intentions, but you will intentionally do things that strengthen the marriage. You may choose to conceive a child. Not a bad idea. But I have to tell you that when you make that choice, you better continue every day to make the choice to nourish and train and discipline that child to help them to grow and become strong. You may have gotten the greatest job offer in the world and you accepted it. Isn't that wonderful? But I'll tell you what. You better make the choice about 6 or 7 o'clock in the morning to get up, get dressed, get in your vehicle, and get to work. Or that relationship is not going to be a good one. And you better make the choice during the day to stay till quitting time. If you don't, the relationship will suffer greatly or come to an end. That is true of all relationships. We need to make choices to continue a relationship. We have to act intentionally if they're going to continue. Ultimately, lasting relationships don't just happen. That's love at first sight. They require us to make choices to be the person. Now, notice I'm going to skip a higher thing here. The Be the person God wants me to be. That's not just, okay, I'll be faithful to my spouse. I'll provide for my kids, or I'll show up at work. But I'm going to make the choices to be the best employee I possibly can be, the best spouse I possibly can be. I'm going to have the best relationship with my child that's possible. See, because you may be in here and you go, you don't know my family. You don't know my neighborhood. You don't know my workplace. The relationships there stink. They reek to high heaven. And you know what? You can't change that other person. But here's what I have to tell you. And I know what the Word of God says. It's simply this. You have to have good intentions that you show up every day and then carry out those intentions to be the best employee, spouse, whatever it happens to be. And to do what is necessary to promote a growing, deepening, stronger relationship. If you don't do that, you're going to go downhill. You need to make those Choices every day. Think about this if you're going, okay, that's kind of theory. Let's take the number one. If I ask most of you, what is the most important relationship in your life? You'd say, well, my relationship with God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, you may not use those exact words, but you say, my relationship with God is above all relationships. And I would agree that you are right in your priority. But let me ask you a question. You have every intention of praying every day. You have every intention of being in the Word of God and getting to church and fellowshipping and having Bible study. But if you don't act intentionally, I'll guarantee you, you might say that your relationship with God is the most important. But anyone looking from the outside would say, that's his intention. But he really hasn't acted upon it. 
And that's the difference. So if you catch that when you know where I'm going with this sermon. My wife and I, uh, my wife mostly, I just show up and eat. But most of you know our kids show up at our house right after church on Sundays. You're not allowed to have anything other than Pizza Hut pizza. I don't know how this all came about, but that's the way it works. And my wife makes a dessert. Now, that's really healthy eating. Uh, you know, you get pizza. Oh, we get Supreme, so it has, you know, some veggies on the top. But anyway, you know what? There are times, and my wife would agree with this, that it would just be able to go home, a quiet lunch, and go take a long afternoon nap. There are times that really sounds inviting. But you know what? Something more important than that. We intentionally want a good relationship with our kids and our grandkids. So you know what? That's one of those things that we do. And yes, when it's over, I bail out and go take a nap. And my wife probably eventually is like, get out of here. I need my nap too. But, but nonetheless, you know what? It's intentional that we do those kinds of things. Yours may be totally different than that. <clears throat> to intentionally grow a relationship. But all of us need to do that. We need to have good intentions, but we need to live those intentions out. Great relationships are always based on active choices. Ruined relationships are based on not acting or not acting correctly. We're going to look, and you are in Luke chapter 15, so let's go there. We're going to run out of time very quickly. You know the parable. It may be the most beloved of all parables. It's right up there with the Good Samaritan. It's a parable basically about relationships. The relationships go a number of different ways. There's the loving and patient Father, there's the one we normally call the prodigal son who's reckless and irresponsible. And then there is that self-righteous, pat himself on the back, older son. I believe, and many people have said, that maybe we should have called this the parable of the loving father. I think that suits it better. But we usually say the prodigal son, and we're referring to the one that lands up in the pig pen. But I'm going to tell you, when you get to the end of the story, the one that's still a prodigal is not him. That relationship is restored. The one that's the real prodigal is the older son who absolutely says, I'm not going to be a part of this. If my father is going to forgive that little rascal of a son, a brother of mine, then I'm having nothing to do with both of them. I'm not going to have anything to do with my brother, and I'm not going to have anything to do with my dad. And he ends the story there. I hope that somewhere along the line that changes, but that's all we know from the Bible. He lands up still being separated. The relationship is not a growing one, and one that anyone would want to be a part of. If you recognize the context here in Luke chapter 15, Jesus told them a parable, singular, not with an S on, and then he told three stories. Each of the stories had something to do with something was lost, and then it was found, and then there was joy. And that's the good ending. So with the prodigal son, there is joy for the one that landed in the pig pen. But there's not joy with the other son. It just ends that way. And so 
as we look at this, we realize that there are three people involved. There's three different relationships. And each of the choices that each one of them made affected the other one. In this case, we want to look at and evaluate the present, the circumstances, the situation, and the attitude. What should have they done? What did they do? Because if we're going to have meaningful relationships, we have to recognize that there are relationships that are ruptured and ruined. You may come from a family where nobody talks to anyone else. Because somebody did something to someone sometime in the past. And everybody stakes their claim and says everybody else is wrong. And, well, I would never do that. I'd just stay out of it. You know what? Truth of the matter is, we can take all kinds of views. This parable gives us a couple of them. For example, there's the gracious, loving father who from what I can tell, every day goes out and looks as far as he can see to the top of the hill, looking for a son, longing for a son to come back. Notice he doesn't go and drag him out of the pig pen. Relationships are not based on I force somebody else to do the right thing. Relationships are based on do I do the right thing. Do I have the right intentions? And do I intentionally carry them out? That's it. The loving father was looking. He was also one that absolutely was forgiving. Then there's the real circumstances of the younger son. I don't know if you ever saw it this way before or not. But we all know that it says we need to, at the end, the father says we need to celebrate. We need to have joy because my son who was dead has now been found. Think of it this way. I've never thought about this way until I started studying for this sermon. The younger son had the right to request his part of the inheritance. He could do that. The father did it. But here's what you need to get in there. He was treating his dad as if he had already died. How about that? He could have cared less about that family relationship. He basically said, Dad, I kind of wish you were dead. I want what I would get when you die. And he demanded it. The father gave it to him. I'll tell you what, he didn't use it wisely. We all know that. It says he squandered everything he had. And when he came to the end of it, he's in a pig pen. And you understand, do you realize the circumstances That he is evaluating when he gets to that point. He is doing something that is untenable for any Jewish person, much less a young man. He is feeding swine, hogs, pigs. They're unclean. They don't eat them. They don't have anything to do with them. And guess what? He had gotten so low that that's where he was. In fact, this is even worse than that. When he came to his senses, and we'll talk about what that means in a second. When he came to his senses, he said to himself, Man, if they just let me have some of the pig food. I'm starving. I'm hungry. I've got nothing. And it also says nobody was giving him anything. What did we read in the beginning? 
His father, at his demand, gave him what was his. He didn't deserve it. He didn't earn it. Any of those kinds of things. But the father gave it to him. Now he's in dire straits and no one is giving him anything. And I'll tell you what, that will get your attention. It says he came, my, the version I use in the New American Center says that he came to his senses. Others said he came to himself, which means he was not his normal self. Whatever that means, all I know is this. He wasn't thinking straight. And if you don't believe this, that's exactly what sin does to you. You are not thinking straight. When you allow a relationship that is in tatters and it's torn and it's bloody and it's bruised to continue on, I propose to you from a biblical viewpoint, from God's viewpoint, from a gracious father's viewpoint, you are simply out of your mind. Seriously, you're not thinking straight. I I didn't ask what the other person did to you. Because, see, if somebody else did you wrong, then you need to have the attitude of the gracious, loving father. If you're the one that's in the pig pen today, and your life is shambles, and you're going, there's no way to look but up, then you need to put yourself where the prodigal son was. And you need to look up and say, wow, I had it really good. My father gave me everything. I had more than I needed. And here I am with nothing. And nobody will help. I don't know. The only people who get close to him anymore were pigs. That's what it looks like. You know, he squandered everything. He lost everything. What was his evaluation of his present circumstances? I know where the hand that feeds resides. I know. The fact is, you notice what his whole attitude was? Is I don't even deserve anything. He recognized His situation. He says, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Remember, all sin ultimately is against God. Because it's against his law. It's against his principles. It's against everything that he does for us in his loving, gracious, and merciful way. All sin is against God. But most sin, and you think this through for a second, most sin is also against another person. And I'll guarantee you, sin separates. It brings death to a relationship. Because that's what death always has to do with. Death means separation. And when you sin against someone, when there's unconfessed sin, when there's a ruined relationship, most likely there's sin there. And you say, well, my spouse did this to me. My kid did this to me. My coworker, my neighbor did this. You know what? Then you need to be the gracious father. Evaluate that. If you're the one that did somebody else wrong, then you need to fess up. I have sinned against God and I have sinned against you. That's evaluating. You're never going to fix the relationship until you do that. Most of you know I do garden tractor pulling, and there is one particular person, no names are going to be mentioned here, but he has a reputation everywhere he goes. I don't have a bet, but you know what? The saddest thing I ever saw, he's been banned, I don't know how many places for cheating and threatening people. He's done all kinds of dumb stuff. You know what? I make it my business to go out of my way and talk to him. I've had to DQ him myself, disqualify him myself. You know what? I make it. But you know what? One day I went to a tractor pull. He's banned from even coming on the premises one place. 
because he threatened somebody with a tire iron. And he showed up, and they went over, and immediately they went over and talked to him, said, you were not allowed to be here. And I reached some kind of compromise. I saw him, and it almost makes me cry. I saw him off in the corner, sitting on a chair by himself. And I'm like, that's heartbreaking. And this is just a stupid tractor pull. But you know what? We do this with our relationships and our families. It happens in churches. Happens in neighborhoods. It's pathetic. And you know what? We all go, they did it. This parable will never let you do that when you look at relationships. Because I don't care which side you're on. If you're the father, I need to be gracious, loving, and merciful, and forgiving. If I'm in the pig pen... I need to admit that I really blew it. I need to confess it for what it really is. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against man. I've done that. And let's go to the last one. The one I think is the most pathetic of all the situations. The self-righteous older son. He couldn't stand forgiveness. He couldn't stand his little brother wrecking his life and now getting it right. He was lost. He found he was dead. He's alive. He couldn't stand that. And so he said, I'm not coming in. I'm not going to have joy. You realize that he purposely, intentionally brought misery to his life. And not only just for one celebration where they killed the fatted calf and had a great time. But from what I can tell, that's what leads to family feuds, church feuds, neighborhood feuds, you name it. Husbands and wives, kids and parents, you name it, brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter what it is. But he wasn't willing to be forgiving and loving and merciful. He wasn't willing to see himself as this self-righteous kind of guy. By the way, a lot of good to be said for the older brother. He was home and he was diligent. He did what was expected. But that's all he did. It wasn't a relationship. Just because two people are sitting together in a pew here doesn't mean they have a relationship. They're just sitting next to each other. That's basically what he was doing. You know what? Here I am. I'm the good son. I'm the older son. I'm just here. But he didn't really have a relationship. He didn't respect his father because his father's like, hey, forgive your brother. Come, have, let's have some fun together. He wasn't saying, oh, I'm, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm going to concentrate on the younger son. He's saying, no, come on in. Let's all get together. Let's all have a good time. He refused to do it. We need to, if you're going to deal with a relationship, evaluate the present. And we need to know that we can change that relationship. Remember, only you can change that relationship. No one else can change it. The second thing you need to do is, oh, in that change and evaluating, I'm sorry, you need to have a checklist. This is a representative checklist, not an exhaustive checklist. There's just a few things. Where are you now? Kind of easy to do. How did you get into this? You look at it and you say, what contributions uh, did the other person make? What went south? What was misunderstood? What What kind of sin was involved? Whatever it is. How did we get here? Second one is, what did you contribute? You go, I didn't start it. 
Little kids always do that. I didn't start it. He hit me first. You hit him back? Well, you're just as bad as he is. Believe me, we've done that one a few times at our house. You know what? But as adults, we would never do it that way. We'd just say, well, I didn't start this rumor. I'll just pass it on. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't get angry first, but I got angry second. You know what? You've just passed it on. I'm not holding a grudge first, but I'm holding the grudge now because look what they did. I don't care what it is. I'll forgive if they forgive. I'll love if they love. Nope, don't do it. Contribution, either you started it or you aggravated it. Either way, you need to evaluate that. Have you forgiven the person? Just remember, you've heard me preach sermons on this. If you don't forgive someone, you are controlled by the negative past. Something that happened sometime in the past is now still controlling you. Have you forgiven that person? By the way, that doesn't instantly make the relationship right. You know what? I don't think there's a person in here that hasn't had someone who's done you wrong. You make two choices. You either forgive them, whether they ask or not, you forgive them, or you hold the grudge, which simply means you still want God to strike them dead. Maybe not quite that bad, but you want them to be punished for it. Or you forgive them. If you forgive them, now you can work on the relationship. But you need to check that. And the thing is, have you confessed where you were wrong for your contributions? See, they might have had the biggest part of it. But I have to tell you that when somebody ruffles my feathers the wrong way, what's the first thing I want to do? I like to ruffle their feathers back. Sorry, but that's who I am. I heard Pastor John confess that he always has some bad thoughts, too, that you might not like. Well, guess what? I'm no different than that. And you know what? You can point all your fingers you want, but uh, you'll have a few pointing back at you. That's just the way it is. Evaluate it. Moving on, because I'm just about out of time. Reckless son wanted to share now. The pious son wanted business as usual. And one of them envisioned a future that was bright. One envisioned a future that was bleak. What did the son in the pig pen do? He said, and this is Luke chapter 15, verse 18. He says, I will get up. Implied, I will go to my father. Implied, I will say to him. We already know what he said he's going to say. And he did that, by the way. Notice, it wasn't just good intentions. He decided it. He had the intention. And then the parable makes it very clear. That's exactly what he did. So don't say, well, I know I need to get this straightened out with somebody. Unless you actually want to do it. Remember last week we said Satan's, Satan's most profitable words for his kingdom are tomorrow, then, sometime, instead of doing it now. Continues on right into this sermon. And of course we know that he got out of the pig pen. The father didn't drag him out. He went and he intentionally headed home. Saying, you know what? I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve a normal relationship with my father. I'll take whatever. Hey, his servants are at least making minimum wage. I got minimum. No, he didn't even have minimum. It was less than that. He just said, I'll go back and I'll be a worker in my house. Where I used to be an heir, I'll be a worker. Hmm. Where I considered, I thought, wish my dad was dead. 
I'll work for him. He went back with that. Father never says, oh, we're not going to do. He just says, hey, come on in. Get the fatted calf. Give him a ring. Give him a robe. Let's have a party. Let's have a good time. Let's celebrate. Let's have joy. Because that's what relationships are about. The end result. I can look back at that relationship. Nobody said it was easy. Fact is, you think about this. Some of your best friends are people you butted heads with at one time. (laughs) Some of you parents know some of the kids that butted heads with you. They're the ones that you have the strongest relationship with. It's just the way it is. Doesn't matter. You deal with it. You envision a future that changes the relationship. And then you need to energize a plan of action. What did he do? Verse 20. He got up and came to his father. He actually put it into practice. And he said exactly what he was going to do. And the father immediately didn't say, told you so, fool kid. Could have told you this. He didn't do any of those things. He forgave him and said, you know what? It's time to move on. And I have to tell you, that's what relationships are about. If you've been messing around with your relationship with Jesus Christ, your relationship with God, it's time you go back and say, God, I've sinned against you. We need to get this right. He is that gracious, loving father. But you know what? If you're just holding a grudge because somebody wronged you yesterday, two weeks ago, two years ago, two decades ago, you know what? It's time to act like the gracious father. You can't make them come back. But you can look for that relationship. Come on. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. And if you're in the pig pen or you're the self-righteous one, you know what to do. I will. I will. I will. And then do it. That's what's necessary. Because the end result is to be joy. It's to be a closeness. A growing, deep, strong, mature relationship. So that you can look back at the end and say, I did what I can do. And I have to tell you, if you do what you can do, the other person is much, much more likely to respond. Can't force them, manipulate them, can't do that. But they're going to more likely to respond. And then you know where I'm going to end. But I changed it this week. Choose a relationship that you want to improve and make it your goal for the next month. Well, the next month is up because we only have about three weeks of the campaign left. I want to put a, uh, something that gives you a, a goal. Here's what I added. You'll notice that. Not that you want, but that you need to deal with. Because there are things that are controlling your life today, relationship-wise, that unless you actually... See it for what it is, have a plan of action, and then do it. We'll continue on, and they won't just stay the same. You stay the same in a relationship, it goes downhill. It requires action. It requires positive action if a relationship is going to grow. It doesn't go anywhere. So I challenge you. Is there a relationship? And I challenged you before. I I need to say this because maybe not everybody was here. But look at the hardest one. Start with there. Because once you get the hardest one dealt with, you'll go, wow, this really works. And you'll start dealing with the ones that are easier. So normally we say start at the easy and go to the hard. Start with the hard one. 
Let God prove that these principles are true. Let's face it. If you would have looked at those two sons and said, which one is the one that's going to be the hardest to deal with? You would have said, it's the one in the pig pen. The one that says, gimme, 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 and I'm gone. That would have been the one. But it's not true. The hardest one to deal with is the one that stayed there and did everything he was supposed to do. With a wrong attitude, of course, but he still did it. That's the one that doesn't have a resolution in this parable. The other one has a resolution. My proposal is this. I believe God's principles. And not because I believe them, because they're simply true. That when you put them into practice, they work. And relationships are the tracks that love runs on. Relationships are what makes this life worth living. I don't care if it's with God or with other people. Relationships are what makes God worth living. Think about it. Think about your conversations you have. Most of them are about relationships that you have with other people. It's the way it works. It's what makes this life on this earth worth living. Starting with God, starting with going to other people. Let's all stand together as we close. Father, thank you so much that you're a God that has designed relationships, starting with the relationship with you, to be the, the big focus of our life. Thank you that you have shown us love and grace and mercy. And Lord, I pray that we as that loving, gracious Father would reach out looking for restoration. But Lord, if we're the one that has gone off, give me and go, that we would confess that. Our contributions, that we would make sure that we put these principles into practice. Lord, it's the place of joy. It's the place of celebration. It's what makes our lives worthwhile. Lord, I also know that relationships that are not dealt with are what makes life miserable, sometimes intolerable. Lord, I pray that you would give us the wisdom we need to sort through and then give us the desire to go, not only with good intentions, but intentionally seek out a resolution to the relationships that need mended. Lord, thank you so much for challenging us this morning. We thank you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. God bless. Go with God.